everyone, I'm Stephen Gregory Smith. And I'm Matt Connor. Places, everyone, it's time for... The, the Connor, Connor and Smith Show! Thank you, Places. Okay. Well, oh, tonight, yeah. we are going to make another third grade level craft project. Maybe even second grade. So that's going backwards. Well, you should have said maybe even fourth, fourth grade. grade right? Well, fourth grade if you add some, like, fringe and glitter. So what are we going to do with this paper plate? Well, we have... I think this is something we did with Lindsay Blue once. We did. We have Easter trees. As we've told you through this podcast, we're kind of just changing the decorations on the trees. Yeah. And keeping the Christmas trees up on our... They're fake and they're mini. They're on top of our like bar yep um, and if you would like an Easter tree of your own we could tell you how to make one decorate it fix it up yep brought um, to you by Michaels I, yes if you hear the pugs Eddie and Byron are oh around. I see oh. okay okay so we're gonna make tree toppers so we're making paper play Easter bunnies You've all done this with your, like, babies. So we're going to do it real quick. So we've gone from uh, the angel of the Lord being on top of the tree to Bugs Bunny. Correct. So we're going to cut out some ears. This is Eddie. Well, this is what I'm first going to do. My first step I recommend is we're going to put a strap, just a strap like this, on the back of the plate. So that's how we're going to slide on top of the Top. Good idea. A fastener. A rabbit fastener. The, I don't know what's going on with the pugs, but they have never been this excited, active. We've never done this. Here. I think they think we're giving away prizes tonight. Are there prizes? Nope. Okay, so I can't, I currently can't do my rabbit. Yeah, you can thing. do it later. That's fine. Um, um, so Steven's going to have to demonstrate. I'm going to be the, 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 the cake that comes out of the oven like sure. after the show and be like, oh, look, I made the cake. Nailed it. Nailed it. The chew. Okay, so um, the pugs are nuts tonight. Yay, pugs! And so that's step one. Wow. Okay. Why don't, why don't you ease that party on that way okay. so it doesn't feel like it's the uh, pugs are fighting for a space on Matthew's lap currently, and it's not going to end well. It's um, fine. Uh, is it fine? It's fine. They just want to be on the show. Yeah, I understand okay. that. So now I'm cutting ears. So cutting tell us about tonight's show. What's going to happen at 7 o'clock? Even though it may not be 7 o'clock when you're listening to this, but it might be 7 o'clock almost when you're watching this or not. It's 7 o'clock somewhere. It's 7 o'clock somewhere. Um, we're going to be talking to Michael Bobbitt. Yay, Michael Bobbitt. Yes, who has moved and is now in the Boston area. I just remember Michael was in the national tour of Kiss of the Spider Woman with Cheetah. Lots to talk about there. What's going on? Um, well, Eddie is, wants to be on my lap. Byron is trying to get on my lap. And uh, that's all there is to this story. Wow. Um, it's going to be a crazy bumpy night. It's going to be a fascinating thing to listen to. All right, so two ears. Great. Two ears for the bunny. And two insides of ears, which are smaller and pink. Now, do they have to be pink? No, that's just kind of like traditional paper cutting Easter. Uh, yeah, they can be any color okay. in the world. But they have to be smaller. Smaller than the first, yes. So you'll see here, by this wonderful example, Stephen has made a white ear, big, and a pink inside. Now, I guess the rabbit Two comes in all inside. kinds of colors, right? Absolutely. Um, you could do gray, brown, black. Um, do they ever have like a a mixture of the two of two colors? I'm sure. I'm sure. Yep. I remember my neighbor having uh, rabbits, and there was one that had red eyes. Interesting. Yep. Little nose. That should be all I have to cut out. This is basic level. <clears throat> Anybody can do this. I used to teach art after school in Fairfax County. I used to do this with the little babies. Um, paper plates are also good for spiders. You can make long legs that kind of 
So a little puppet, a little spider puppet. It's good to know for Halloween time if we all want to make. <laughs> I might have to have us do that for Halloween. Yep. Yep. We might need a little. Okay, so I'm gonna center the nose on the paper plate. Boom. That's beautiful. No, it's not. It's just the nose. Okay. Then we're gonna do the ears. First, the inside of the ears. This will be probably our only craft that it only took like literally three minutes to do. Is Byron just that hot? Yeah. It sounds like somebody's either rapping or no. a obscene phone call into this microphone. No, it's warm. It's the jacket. It's the spring has ha happened here near Washington. We, we don't live in Washington. We live near Washington. So I, I, I would like to say near Washington. It's getting warmer out. It is. Um, it's beautiful. The flowers are amazing. Okay. So we somehow managed to avoid pug mutiny. That's good. That is fantastic, actually. Something new that we started this past like week or so yeah. is uh, since I'm regressing and doing what younger kids do to kind of creatively invigorate myself again through these ourselves again through these art projects, I figured I the fountain of youth of creativity is to also kind of see what other young people are doing and what are the kids all talking about the ticky tocks the ticky tocks the tiktok of it all so yeah. we started connor and smith tiktok page that mainly is about this podcast and the pugs the pugs so and now they have their own pillow they do have our own merchandise shop and well more on that tomorrow night yeah and eddie and byron have a pillow case not a pillow not a, a pillow, pillow case. case wait does someone ask us something oh my gosh i, I don't know, know. eddie's Stephen trying to eat the table shirt but it's fabulous oh someone likes your shirt tonight oh i'll tell you what that probably that comment was probably oh it was only a minute ago um i'll tell you what's on the shirt stop it eddie we are this is a professional podcast Facebook show. Um, this is <sighs> Octopus. It's a big octopus. Yep. Where did you get it? I don't know. The inner tubes. Okay, so Eddie is digging now. Yep. It's going to be a great listen. Okay, so we've got I, I think I need a stapler. We've got the bunny, the ears. I need the eyes, the whiskers, the mouth. Can you pass me that Sharpie? This is going to be the whiskers. Don't try this at home with pugs. Oh my god, you guys. Yeah. Um, what time is it? 6.51. 6.51? We're thinking that we might, we're going to see how long we can go. We, we might just keep going until the very beginning of Michael Bobbitt, just so you can see just the magic of what apps can do nowadays. I mean, it's amazing. Okay, so this is a very nervous, confused, worried rabbit. Um, yeah, he looks scary. It's he's, a, he's not scary. He looks maybe like concerned. He's, he's concerned about the world. Um, okay. Oh, I really need the stapler. This is this is why it's fun to watch these segments because it's like crafts done badly <laughs> by adults. That Nailed it. That <laughs> is beautiful. Now, uh, Stevie, what is your rabbit's name? Harvey. That was easy. And where does your rabbit live? In the cocktail lounge. What does your rabbit like to eat? Olives. Oh, it's a Mediterranean rabbit. No, he likes martinis. Oh, yeah. All right, so Got that it. was our craft. Uh, our guest will be coming up here in a little bit here, uh, Michael Bobbitt. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this commercial. It, Bye. It's really just me talking again about something See you else. later, alligator. Bye. I mean, not bye, but just like... See you soon. Hold on a second. We're still, setting, we're still sitting here, not setting here. Setting here. I don't know. I'm from a farm. So are y'all set? Are y'all set? Does that mean everyone's seated? Oh gosh, I can't even think of the, the words that I was that was set down. You're walking the boat. Mm -hmm. It's sit. Mm -hmm. And the people all said sat, sat down. Sit down. I said sit down. I don't know. My my family had its own um, vocabulary. It had its own vocabulary. And it's being re it's being researched by um, researchers right now. It is unknown as of 
from this day. Okay, thank you. This has been a long first segment, so let's take the break on the audio. Thanks. We'll be right back. Bye. It's not goodbye. Oh. It's see you in a minute. Okay, so I just won't speak. No, you can. I should say. You should just set back. See All right, you in we'll a be... minute. There we go. Hello, Michael. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Is Matt there? Michael. No, he's Hi. not. He <laughs> like wishes little... I wasn't here. It's been a year. <laughs> I need a I break. Know. It's like a little vaudeville show between the two of you. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Are you watching us live on Facebook? I am. Are you actually on Facebook? We are on Facebook, but we're going to get rid of Facebook. We're just trying to, to basically see if anybody wants to continue listening to our conversation. That's hysterical. <laughs> Which we probably know the answer. It's going to be Stephen's mom and Matt's mom. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's hysterical. Oh, my gosh. Can I watch it at the same time I'm talking to you? It probably would give you some kind of weird feedback, I imagine. Well, you, okay. yeah, you, you could watch it. Later. But No, you could watch it with the sound off. But as we're doing, because we have it on the side of our couch as well, the Facebook Live is just a few beats behind. Right. It, right. it kind of, it kind you, of looks like that ens- it kind of looks like that ensemble member that's not going to get a call back that you put in the back <laughs> left. <laughs> <laughs> that's it hysterical. Looks- yeah, you're like, oh, come on, the kick's on seven. <laughs> <laughs> that's hysterical, Matt Connor. Ever since YPT, you have cracked me up. <laughs> YTT, we are going to bring up the past tonight. YTT. YPT. We, what, what was that show we both played Latinx people? Some, uh, something li- uh, Oh, life. Pieces of Life. Pieces of Life. Yes. yes. It definitely was Pieces. <laughs> it was Pieces. But both of us were cast as Latinx people. Yeah. That, nothing says the 90s or the 2000s like that, right? Well, that was, <laughs> that was definitely the 90s. Mid-90s. Yeah. Late, that was, late 90s. That was the only chance the Candy Center ever asked me to perform. Oh. <laughs> and I'm here to say tonight, Candy Center, that you may not be asked on our podcast. And the, sh- the shame is you can't even talk about it because <laughs> it was so terribly wrong that you were cast in that role. <laughs> well, I have a list of roles uh, that I should, yeah. I should have never played. Yes. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, speaking of which, Michael, um, so catch up at least like the D.C. area people about, okay, you moved. We we were all very saddened to see you go. Where are you now? What are you doing? So, yeah, I moved um, from D.C. in the summer of 2019 to become the artistic director of New Repertory Theater. And that was a hard decision after 12 years of running Adventure Theater and being uh, an artist in D.C., directing and choreographing and uh, and way back when performing, but it, it seemed that it was good good time to move. Uh, my my son sang that everyone knows was headed off to college, um, and I was in a, a new relationship that was was bringing me lots of joy. And I was also getting lots of headhunting calls from um, search firms and theaters all over the country. And so I went through a process of interviewing for a bunch of them, and some of them I turned down for one reason or another. Um, but New Rep was this little gem of a theater in uh, just outside of Boston that I thought, oh, I think I can do some something there. I think I can do something really exciting there. So I moved in uh, in the summer of 2019 and worked at New Rep for a while. And uh, through the you know pandemic and the racial reckoning and Last fall, um, I get an email from um, another um, search firm saying that there's this job at Mass Cultural Council, which is the state uh, independent state arts agency that gives out grants and offers services to the whole state of Massachusetts and the cultural sector, um, asking me if I wanted to apply for this and that they had received lots of word from um, people across the state, but also people outside of the state saying that I was a good candidate. I was the guy. And I had worked with the search firm before. Initially, I said, no, I have a great job. I like it at New Rep. I'm not interested in this. And 
after a little prodding from the executive director, um, we decided to meet over coffee and talk about why he thought I was a good candidate for it. And after that coffee, I was convinced that I probably should apply for this job. I would be stupid not to apply for it. And I did. And after a few rounds of interviews, I got the job. And uh, it was announced in December um, that I would be the executive director of Mass Cultural Council. And I am in charge. I oversee of um, nearly $24 million um, to arts and culture agencies across the state of Massachusetts. Wow. And, and Michael, I'm assuming that landing that position when theaters are sort of all of a sudden in this tailspin of what to do, I'm sure was kind of like, oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it, w- it was hard, one, to leave New Rep. I was, I was lucky because I had, um, uh, we, we had a really good half a year. I was able to rescue um, New Rep out of um, debt and put a, quite a bit of reserve in the bank. They had about five or six months of reserve in the bank. This is from years of having debt. Um, and Matt, you're right, but, but it's not just theater now. I'm in, I'm in sort of overseeing, not overseeing, but I'm supporting um, every cultural institution. And, and even beyond that, I support humanities and, and the interpretive sciences as well. So it's dance, it's music, it's... Um, restaurants? Museum, not, not restaurants, but museums, um, aquariums. It's a, it's a, it's a huge mix, mix of stuff. And they're all in crisis. I mean, they're all really struggling because we haven't, the cultural sector hasn't really reopened up here. Um, so everyone's bleeding, losing money. We actually just announced uh, a couple of weeks ago from our fifth survey that the cultural sector has had a loss of $588 million uh, in revenue. And that's just the 981 organizations that actually filled out the survey. So if you look at the others that didn't, and also the ones that are for profits, it's it's in the billions. Um, so a, a weird, hard time to think about taking a new job, but I think I can have an impact and um, doing a lot right now. Right now, actually, I am advocating uh, with my team for an additional um, two hundred and twenty-six million. Um, some coming from um, the federal appropriation, but a lot of it coming from the state. Um, so a big job, a big, exciting job. I am very excited about it. Um, so far, it's only eight weeks in, but so far I do not miss theater. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't, don't see myself going back to producing theater anytime soon. I'm having a great time. It, sound, it, but it sounds like what you've done in theater has even prepared you for a bigger role in the area that you're living in and kind of using maybe similar you know, tools to reach out to the community and to find ways to make things work and having like creative thinking about stuff. Yeah, I mean, some of the pressure is uh, I am officially the senior most position in arts and culture in the government um, for the state. So so that's a lot of pressure. But what I, I think you're right. Uh, in fact, one of the things that the um, search firm said was, you know, he thought that artistic directors of theaters are the right kinds of people to run state arts agencies, because you're used to having to, one, think about the future, like two, three, four years down the road, even six months to four or five years down the road. But also, you're managing all kinds of different people. You're managing boards, you're managing staff, you're managing artists, you're managing patrons. Um, And I do, I think all of that kind of prepared me for this job. I also think of uh, artistic director in many ways as primarily PR positions. I mean, once we pick the season and put the artists together, we're off to uh, our next job is like thinking about what's coming in the future. And the rest of the time we're out there getting people excited about the work and finding resources. So it's a big PR position, which I think the job I have now is, is quite a lot of uh, PR. Yesterday I had my first meeting with the um, governor and the Lieutenant governor and the chief of staff, which was a huge big deal. Um, but those are the kind of people I have to sort of work with and convince every day on behalf of arts and culture. Also, um, I always realized how important it was to be involved in legislation and, and, and working with the legislature, um, because, you know, we're nonprofits, we rely on, uh, government funding. And so building those relationships as you would a donor, 
um, was always important. So I did that work in Maryland a lot. I did a lot of <laughs> a lot of advocacy, a lot of testifying. Uh, I was on a couple of boards that um, primarily did that kind of work as well. So it, 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 it feels natural. I'm just doing it way more than I did before. Right. Just on a bigger scale. Yeah. With a state that's in crisis. <laughs> Are you, are you are you still doing sort of at home Zoom stuff or are you going into uh, real live offices? Yeah, I have a really cool office. Um, uh, it's great. I have a you know, I have a staff of 30 and uh, we're all working remotely now. We're waiting on the governor to let us know when we can go back in. Uh, I've been popping over there a little bit, mostly to fix some to grab some stuff and to fix some computer stuff. But um, but yeah, so we're all still working remotely and, uh, I think we'll probably when we come back, we'll come up with some hybrid of work from home and teleworking, uh, but in, in office working as well. So, but super fun, super fun gig. I'm just, you know, I'm doing a little writing on the side. Uh, my agent has a couple of projects in the pipeline and got to work on, a. I think I saw signature theater is doing or just recently did um after midnight the redux version and i got to actually do that redux version um so that was kind of fun to see the theater that i know well producing the the project i worked on um yeah yeah that's exciting it was it was neat to work on this script that had names like adrian and fantasia and i was like i know these people oh my god (laughs) are you loving the actual city of boston i do it's a beautiful little provincial town i'm living in cambridge and uh about three blocks from the charles river and a few blocks from harvard uh it's neat sometimes i um last last year when i was when we were able to sit in coffee shops you would sit in coffee shops and hear the most incredible intellectual conversations where I only understood like two of the words in the conversation because these <laughs> brains are so smart. The other weird thing is that we have wild turkey walking out all over the street. So, uh, you know, every day I go outside, there's like a family of turkeys and they're all babies right now because it's spring um, on the street. Uh, but I do. I love Boston. It's it's a, it's a small, big city. Um, I've gotten a chance to make a lot of friends and acquaintances. Most of my time up here has been in quarantine or at least in home. So I haven't been able to, to make the kind of friends I normally make. Um, but right. yeah. Yeah. Hey, what is, your, so I know that you were in maybe the national tour of kiss the spider woman. Yeah. Back in 96, 95. Yeah. I, 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 I saw that show. What, where'd you see it? Was it at the National Theater? No, we didn't go to, I was in the second National Tour. We didn't go to the, we didn't do the long sit down. We had one week sit downs in the beginning and then the rest were one nighters, 181 city tour. I remember that. I don't know why. Oh my god! I think I was traumatized by it. (laughs) Well, I want to talk about just your creative journey from being a youngster up through your schooling and how you really you know, maintained your creative journey um, throughout your your life. Where did you, uh, when did you get the bug to, to even be in the arts, let's say? Elementary school. I mean, my favorite classes, I have no idea why, but my, because there's no art, there, there were no artists in my family. My mom used to sing in Glee Club when she was a, a kid, but there was no art in the family. But for some reason, um, those classes that I had in, in DC public schools were my favorite. I just loved going to music class or art class. Hated gym, hated it, even hated recess because it meant I had to go, <laughs> go outside and, and run around. Um, but I was, my first show that I did was in first grade. I was Hansel in the third act of Hansel and Gretel. And my mom said it was the best act. So, um, <laughs> so, so you knew. So I, knew. I knew. And what's funny is I remember that was the show. I don't remember anything I did except that I remember being inside the cage and I said something and the, and the whole audience broke out in laughter. And I remember getting a physical like zap that happened in my body. But that was like the first moment I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Yeah. And then for some reason, I did like choir and in third grade, I picked up band. And in, for some reason, uh, I think in fourth or fifth grade, 
uh, I was in this little choir called the Region 5 Choir, where five schools had kids coming together on Wednesdays to learn music and sing and perform. But for some reason, the Region 5 Choir got to go to New York and see Porgy and Bess, I think it was. And it was the first time I saw other people that looked like me on stage. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do that someday. I don't know how, but I'm going to do that. Um, right. All the other musicals I saw were like white people in musicals singing about Greece and Oklahoma on TV. Um, and so it wasn't like, you know, you know, I, we didn't talk about that kind of thing around the table at dinner. Um, so I sort of found my way into it. My family didn't have money to do lessons, but I was able to take dance lessons and I picked up the trumpet and that was kind of fun. And I was singing. That was kind of fun. And I kept doing that um, all the way through um, high school. And in junior high school, um, I was recruited by this program called the Higher Achievement Program to take evening classes. Um, so in middle school, I was taking night classes twice a week. And we called it reading, writing, and arithmetic back then, um, back in the late 1900s. Um, and, uh, and, those, um, and the schools in the archdiocese recruited kids from that program to go to their school. So I got recruited to go to Gonzaga College Preparatory High School, it was called. I think it's just Gonzaga College High School now. Um, but there's when I got super serious about playing the trumpet. Um, and in ninth grade, I auditioned for the National Symphony Orchestra's Youth Fellowship Program, and I got in. Um, and for the whole of my high school, I was taking lessons at the Kennedy Center with the first and third chair of the NSO. And wow. I got to, um, we got to, we had conducting classes and I got to sort of conduct the NSO. I got to play with them. I got to attend rehearsals. It was a fascinating program. And, and in high school, I was the trumpeter. So I was first chair in the wind ensemble. And I remember playing trumpet in, in many of the masses, but that's what, that, that was a thing I did. Um, and so I went to college on a trumpet scholarship uh, and I picked up, I went back to singing. So I actually double majored in trumpet and voice and minored in creative writing. Um, and I also took dance classes again. Um, and some, at some point during sophomore year, I was like, I really am not digging this classical music world. Uh, I don't know what I want to do, but it's the only thing I could do. I didn't feel like the school was the right school for me. So I actually auditioned and got into Ithaca and planned to transfer. But I took some time off, so I came back to D.C. and I worked on the Spirit of Washington. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, Taraji. Taraji Henson was working. Taraji P. Henson was on the boat with me. Wow. I know. And so I did that, and I was like, you know what? I think it's the dance and musical theater. So I went. Um, I went to the Washington Ballet. They gave me a scholarship, so I started studying dance more heavily there. And then went up to the dance theater of Harlem for a little bit, but the body wasn't the right body for it. And so I shifted over to musical theater and then I went to AMDA. Um, mm -hmm. And after AMDA, I took some time and toured uh, and went and did a bunch of regional theater and then went to CAP 21 um, and, they, and then decided to come back to D.C. And I, yeah. Wow. And I came back to D.C. mostly because I was getting so many close calls to a bunch of Broadway shows and I couldn't, I was booking regional theater and summer stock, uh, but I wasn't able to land the Broadway shows. Um, I remember, and partly because of Kiss of the Spider Woman, I wore Brian Stokes Mitchell's clothes, like his underwear said Stokes in the back. And so I was the exact same size as Stokes. And I guess New York got excited about it because they called me in for Ragtime, the original production. Um, and when I finished my auditions, I had 95 pages of music and sides um, from that audition, those callbacks. I even sang with Audra at one point, which was wild. And she was only like Audra with a little A back then. She only had one. She had like <laughs> a lowercase right, She had like one Tony. She didn't have like a million. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then I, there was there was a bunch of callbacks for Rent and all my children. And so whatever it was, it wasn't working. And I thought, well, let me go back to DC where I can afford a living because I was broke, dirt, dirt cheap, poor. Um, 
and and then come back to New York. And so that's what I did. I came back to D.C. and I got wrapped up in the modeling world in D.C. and a little bit of commercial and industrial work. And that's how I made most of my money. I did a couple of shows, um, Signature Theater, Arena Stage. Um, and then I met my ex. And a few years later, we decided to adopt a baby. And when the baby came home, uh, I was teaching at Catholic University, teaching dance there and working at Montgomery College, choreographing. And I realized that. Um, and then the last sort of big show I did was Guys and Dolls at, no, I did Guys and Dolls. I, well, I don't know if the fix was, the fix at Signature was before or after Guys and Dolls. I can't quite remember. Um, but I remember. It was before. It was before. Okay. Right. So yeah. one of the last shows I did was Guys and Dolls at Arena. And I remember distinctly being so sad that I could not have cuddle time with Sang and read him books and put him to bed at night because I was in a show and I thought, I don't like this. I really don't like this. I also realized during that production that I loved the process of rehearsing and putting on a play more than performing. Interesting. Because uh, I remember I would get in trouble because I would change stuff um, in the play and I would get written up and and so i was like oh i maybe so anyway but i was also teaching in the process teaching and doing some directing and the process sort of intrigued me uh and so i decided to retire from performing i think i did two other shows after that one was at the smithsonian and one was at your arch nemesis matt um the kennedy center um Um, and then I was like I don't want to perform anymore I really don't and so I focused more on directing and choreographing Um, and uh, and then uh, through the directing and choreographing and you learn a lot of leadership when you're doing that stuff I had a friend say to me I should start a theater company I was like I don't know what that means but I'm intrigued by that he said well I got money and if you want to start it we'll be a supporter of yours So I thought, okay, well, let me figure this out. And so I started taking a lot of classes in finance and fundraising and governance and joined a couple of boards and that whole process became intriguing for me. And Sang was getting to an age where we had to look at schools and we were living in DC. And so our options were, or at least we thought our options were stay in DC and go to private school or move to Montgomery County and go to public schools. And we chose the latter and moved to Glen Echo. Adventure Theater found out that I was there and came and asked me to direct and then eventually asked me to be on the board right when they were doing a capital campaign. And as the capital campaign was ending, they were like, well, part of the capital campaign was we were hoping to professionalize the company and we just think you would be a great artistic director to help us do that. And I was like, well, it was a fairly obscure theater, so I thought if I mess it up, not many people will know. But if I do something good, I could actually sort of build a career in this. And so I chose to do it and, and use that platform and that title to get in every room that I could get in. And uh, any courses, anything I didn't quite understand, I would take a course or find a mentor or, um, you know, just dive in and try to tackle it. And so. 12 years after that, I felt like I did a good job at, at Adventure. We went from um, a $400,000 budget to a $3 million budget. Um, and our, we were serving maybe 15,000 patrons. And by the, in our best year, we were serving over 100. Commissioned over 40 playwrights, including Gro- Grammy and Tony winning playwrights. Uh, wow. No Helen Hayes Awards before I started there. And by the time I ended, we had, I think, 68 nominations and eight wins and four four national wow. tours, two shows transferred off Broadway. So we did a lot. And plus we merged with that training academy. So, yeah. Wow. First of all, uh, throwing way back, we know our own kind trumpeters. <laughs> I'm a trumpeter as well. The second you said it, I went. I should have spotted that. It's clear we're we're a breed all we, on ourselves. We are. Um, we are. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, but you were able to even as you were 
artistic director and directing and teaching everything and adventure, you were still able to creatively kind of strike out and do partnerships and uh, work with different theaters, choreographing and directing and whatnot, right? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, the, and part of that was strategic because, I mean, I liked doing that and I, I always thought that it was a great way for me to stay in touch and, and also know what other theaters are doing so I can bring back those best practices to adventure. Um, and those artists back to adventure. But also the thing I know about theaters is that, and any institution really, is that the leadership, the name of the theater and the leadership becomes synonymous. So, you know, you don't mm -hmm. talk about arena stage without mentioning Molly, Molly Smith. You don't talk about, you know, Correct. so they just become one and the same. And so for me, it was a way to continue branding the theater and also to make sure that I still had relationships with great artists, not only uh, performers, but um, but directors and uh, writers and designers. And and it was good. Um, and so that's why I did it. And I, I really enjoyed all of those projects. Uh, some were harder than others, but uh, and some were hard because. Um, you know, as an artistic director, you have to do everything you know how to do every single day. Uh, everything you know how to do, everything you've ever learned, you do it every single day. And so sometimes when I was working on side projects, I still had my full-time job. Uh, and only in towards the end of my time at Adventure, when we had a full staff, um, was I able to like go away, do a show for four weeks and actually take time off and just focus on the show. Um, but I did. I, I got to direct and choreograph all over town, which was just such a great privilege. Yeah. It was it was always fun to walk into a room and see you there behind the table, um, and it's also just a reminder, Michael. Listen, you you talk. I mean, I've always you know lived by the rule that um, art uh, is the one subject that combines all mm -hmm. subjects, especially theater. And yeah, and it's fascinating to to know now that you've landed in Boston doing your your new job because it really feels like in some divine organization you were you were being prepped for you know a job like that because what you used to um, build up adventure and then move on to Boston it's just kind of you can look back and go oh wow that happened that I'm, I'm glad that happened I guess yeah yeah and um, even some of the I mean like at adventure we had several crises we had uh you know the 2016 government shutdown we were in a national park so we were shut down had one of our best-selling shows of all times so all of a sudden we were shut down so how do you come back from that uh, the merger was a good thing, but in the beginning it was a crisis. So I learned a lot about organizational structure and change management um, and even finance and legal stuff I learned through that process. And, and because we were acquiring um, previously rented leases, how to like, I mean, I just learned so much that way. Uh, and the fire that we had, which is one of the other big lessons, how do you sort of turn around a fire? Um, and so, so even though I've never went, gone through a pandemic, <laughs> um, I do feel like I've had enough crises to help me learn how to navigate those things. But I think the biggest thing for me was that it became so clear, probably in the last 10 years that I enjoyed more being outside the room, making the room available for artists to be artists rather than being in the room making the art. Right, right. That's kind of beautiful to actually get to a place where you can even really even realize that, you yeah. know. Um, I think some of us are always so hung up about making the room about us that it's almost, a, not an enlightenment, I don't, I don't want to say, but it's almost like a an awareness that you realize, oh, I can make this room actually available for someone else. Yeah, and somewhat there was a bit of a responsibility too because I, I know that I'm in the position that I'm in because someone saw a little something in, in little Michael Bobbitt way back when, when he was a kid and just kind of helped them to do that. And so I became, and I still am, obsessed with finding all the little Michael Bobbits out there and making sure they have access to the arts or they can become artists. Um, and that, that was a, 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 the, the jumping off point for a lot of my anti-racism work. Um, certainly at Adventure, we were, I was 
just obsessed with getting every little brown or black person I could find in our classes or in the theater. Um, and, and when I moved from children's theater to doing big children theater, I was obsessed with making sure that brown and black artists had opportunities to be on stage and behind the scene and on the staff. Um, so I'm looking right. forward to bringing that work to the whole state as well. It's kind of fun. Well, I mean, it's it got to feel like you're making, not that you weren't making a difference before, but like uh, the impact is much broader and that's got to be almost like a high in and of itself. Yeah, it is. You know? I, I keep thinking about like, not that I want grandchildren anytime soon saying, if you're listening to this, wrap it up, wrap it up. Give me like six more years before I have grandchildren. Um, but um, uh, I just want, I keep thinking about the history books or blogs or whatever, however kids are reading or watching about the history, about what's happening today. I, if my name appears in the history books, I just want to make sure it's on the right side of history. That when when we right, end right. this this horrible disease called racism, uh, or this lack of respect for the arts, I want and, and, and if I have anything to do with that, when if if my name is mentioned, I wanted to say Michael Bobbitt helped to make these things happen, and that sort of that sort of inspires me right. a lot. Yeah, I mean. It's it's just it's great. It's even hearing your story and how you your life experience kind of perfectly um, conditioned you for where you are to meet the moment right now. It's really awesome Thanks. to hear. I appreciate this. Nice to have the vote of confidence from friends and colleagues. And Stephen, I'm just I'm just so remiss that we never got a chance to like work super closely together. I know, but there's so many people I feel that way about. You know what I mean? It's like, it's such a constellation that like, if it lines up perfectly, it, it's interesting because I'm besides, you know, Matthew and I still write, um, Matthew still directs and stuff, but I, I ba basically stopped, you know, doing theater. I've been just focusing on writing and I work for a small nonprofit, um, again, supporting racial diverse community of Columbia Pike. And uh, there's such a different kind of satisfaction that you get when you know that what you're doing, not that the performing doesn't do something, it does a lot for people like us when we were young you know, people, but to your impact goes further into the community and that's so great. But the, what, why I'm getting there is, you know, when you're not doing shows for a long time, like mm -hmm. four or five years now, you realize when you were doing them show to show to show to show to show, it was the next, you know, gig, the next whatever. And now when you look back, I at least can appreciate the the brilliant like constellation of everything that lined up, you know, or didn't. Um, so sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And we just never found our right thing. But, you know, perhaps I was working for some other theater when I could have been auditioning for something that would have been right. It's just, yeah. The fates, I, I, right? I remember back, there were only a couple of times you were actually available to audition. So it wasn't even that it, it was like, you were just booked. You, you are Stephen Gregory Smith. And so like to <laughs> stop it. It is. Funny. Um, it is funny. You talk about no, but like, it, reflecting it, on what it was like when you went from show to show to show. Um, you know, this new job I have now that I'm a bureaucrat, which I kind of don't like saying, but it's true. Um, you know, I'm working for government. So like at 5.15, 5.30 day, uh, every day, like it stops, like work stops and people go home. And like there are no emails or no texts beyond 5.30, which is strange. It's the first time in 20 years I haven't actually had to work evenings and weekends. Um my uh, my husband told me that I should get a boyfriend because he married a theater person who's supposed to be out three or four days a week. So why am I here all the time? <laughs> it's so funny. I remember saying to Matthew at some point, or maybe my mother, I can't remember at this point, uh, that once I got through like a few weekends where I was no longer performing and I had weekends from my job, I was like, I almost wanted to cry because I was like, you mean like this is what everybody else has been doing? 
And like, I didn't know you didn't have to work for the right, whole weekend. Right. Yeah. Oh my I, God. Know, movement to yeah. sort of um, build better work-life balance as theater performers, even, even, you know, the whole idea of going to um, five day work weeks, I say, go for it. I mean, like we have been abusing you all for many, 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 many years. And I think, it all needs to change. And, and if it doesn't change now, like when we have this chance to reflect and to think about it, think about the inequities and the, the abuse and, and the lack of pay and respect and the lack of infrastructure. I feel sad that like if you're not working enough weeks, you're not insured, um, that the gig industry doesn't necessarily support unemployment laws. I mean, I just, all of that needs to be rethought and even the whole nonprofit model needs to be rethought. Um, but if we don't do it now, come, when we come back, if we go back to what it was, it'll, it'll, it'll be like a failure. Like, like what did we learn? We, right. We've learned that all of our organizations are vulnerable to the structures that we have put in place. And so if we don't fix those structures now when we have the time to do it, um, and I do, and I understand we're bleeding. Everyone is like, there's no money coming in. We got we got to like focus on bringing money in. But we also have to focus on like rethinking some of these things that maybe have made us vulnerable. Um, I know at New Rep, we were re-looking at the things like subscriptions and how subscriptions hold racism in place because who has the money to buy a year's worth of tickets six months in advance? And then what privileges are they given? They get to buy the best seats in the house. And then when they come to the theater, mm -hmm. we say, you're our favorite patrons of all the patrons, the other people that can't afford to buy subscriptions, we'd like you a little bit less. Um, and so you could sit in the back and the sides. So all those kinds of things that we have been doing for years and years and years and years have to be re-looked at. Uh, and now is the time. Now is the time. And now is the time also to, to set aside some some energy and some space for innovation because all these people that can't wait till we get back to normal, there's not going to be a normal. When we have these sort of mm -hmm. technological or digital advances, we don't then go back, right? No one's out there using eight tracks and CD players now that we have streaming, right? <laughs> so we have to think about embracing what we have learned and what we have used this year and taking it further. And I think that our industry is not doing that. Um, I think about the sporting industry and what the sporting industry did to the at-home experience of consuming sports. It's really, really cool. Like you can do instant replays, you can have colorful commentary, you can draw on the screen, you can have data scrolls, you can pop up the bios. And it's so cool that even when you go to the game, you have people with ear pods and listening to the commentators because they want to keep that experience. And it's gotten so cool that people are doing Super Bowl parties and tailgating parties and consuming sports is awesome. And now you can, a hundred thousand people can see sports and uh, talk about it and, um, and, and, and attract major national sponsors. So why don't we like, look at other industries and how they're using it. I mean, you know, the performing arts is so slow at some things. Um, so anyway, just my little soapbox. Well, I, I mean, what speaking, combining those two uh, topics, what are your thoughts on uh, the streaming of theater? I mean, and what we've learned and what we've stepped forward with, I don't, I truly don't think we can go well, backwards I think it's on it. I'm just actually reading, a, you know, one of the weird things is I, I am trying to fill my brain with the other sectors in the arts and culture world, because most of my time has been spent in theater and then dance and music. So now I'm reading all the stuff about museums on a regional level, on a local level, on a national level and an international level. And so um, I'm looking a lot at what's happening in the international world, especially what's happening on the islands like Australia and Japan, who are sort of gotten control over the virus and, a lot of Broadway shows are moving there. Um, but the, the, I, there's a term that's been coined since 2013 that I think is going to become part of our zeitgeist, but it's called digital, digital, digital theater, um, spelled like physical and digital merged together. Uh, I think we're going to see a hybrid. I think we'll see, I think we'll see theaters all having streaming platforms. 
kind of like we all have websites right now. I remember when websites first came out, people were like, no, I'm not going to use a website. I'm going to keep printing brochures. But now everyone has a website. I think we'll all have <laughs> um, streaming channels. Uh, I think we'll all probably be installing cameras and, and TV booths in our theaters and hiring staff to just do, do, do the digital theater um, component. I think we're going to see cell phone allowed performances so that people can, so we can take advantage of all these thousands of people marketing your show for you. Uh, and then somehow, and, and even the streaming platform, we're going to see it looking more like TikTok, where you can actually put comments or likes and stuff during the performances. Uh, I think we'll see live performances being videoed and streamed at the same time. I just, it's going to evolve. It's going to evolve. And the thing is, is that those theaters that don't evolve, they're going to feel like throwbacks. And it's okay. It's okay if we do that. I think right. maybe we'll start seeing throwback Thursday performances where we just go back and for that one day a week, we just do theater the way it used to be. And that'll fall out of fashion for a while. But, but we're not going to go back. Um, and so I think people need to embrace it and take it to the next level. Uh, I'm hoping I can do that up here. And I'm lucky because I have MIT and Harvard on both ends of my little town that I live in. So I'm hoping I can engage all those innovative engineers in some of this, some of this process. Now, what I've seen, some of it has been great. A lot of it has not been great. And I think part of that is because we're resisting using this technology and going, going deeper. I mean, you know, theater people, and I will say because of what Matt said earlier, that we incorporate the visual, the music, the, the dance, the, the fine art. I mean, the, the sort of um, fine art aspect of it. We are some of the best people at imagining what the world can be. And I don't think we've spent enough time imagining what theater can be in the future. If we embrace, if we embrace this new platform more. So anyway, that's my other little soapbox. No, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. You've been so inspirational to talk to tonight. I just have a, a few, uh, quick questions to ask you before we do one last thing that is what are you reading right now I anything am, i am so happy but i am two hours away from finishing obama's book promised land it has been a long few months because <laughs> it's a big book uh, i'm also rereading emergent strategies and i just started reading cast um so three books so two are like somewhat work related and one is just because I think Obama is awesome. And then and then a whole bunch of I mean like my that, inboxes. <laughs> I spend probably three hours a day just reading. Of course, of course. Um I know during this weird year everyone has been watching different things on Netflix and whatnot. Uh what have you been watching um, well I finished on Netflix in September um because I watched everything. Um, but, <laughs> but drag race is my jam. I love it. I love the entertainment and the camp of it all. And also the like touching part of it. Um, Steve and I are watching Amsterdam. I watch. yeah, I love that show. Um, ah. what else am I watching? I mean, I watch all the pop. I watch Bridgerton. I watch anything that was like trending on social media. I just watch. Um, but I also have an obsession with home improvement shows. So I watch a lot of home improvement shows. That's that's my way of sort of decompressing after a long day of sitting on Zoom. And my final question is, Michael, everybody, it seems like everybody, maybe not you because you're, you're busy with your new job. It seemed like everyone was kind of like learning something new to take the time to like learn a language or learn how to cook or bake bread or whatever. Did you take on any brand new yeah, they were still year. mostly work-related, but I got another certificate in diversity and inclusion um, from um, uh, Cornell, and I got a, a certificate in fundraising from Boston University. But as far as like a new skill, uh, not not really. I, I started working out really consistently with a personal trainer, um, but no other like new skills, just further further. Um, knowledge that I already have. 
Um, Michael, we have finally, um, you know, we, we make silly crafts on this show, like in our first segment that like a child could do. Um, so we have this thing that we created called a wish box and we're asking our guests if they had one wish right now, what would it be? And we basically write it out and put it into our wish box. So if you had one thing to wish for right now, what would your wish be? Oh, that's a sweet idea. I love that. Um, I would wish that we, I mean, I don't want to be like, um, sort of beauty beauty pageant contestant answer but i do think we designed this idea of racism and i think we can design another system so my wish would be the end of racism that we have designed a new system that that values everyone's life equally that's exactly right yeah yeah <laughs> and that kind of dovetails on your um your experience as a human being of knowing when to leave the room and allowing others to yep, go in. I try. I mean, it's important. It's important. And every day I'm scrolling yeah. through yeah. Uh, headlines and I'm like, every single article is about how horrible we are to each other. And I don't, I don't get it. I mean, even in my worst fights in my professional career or personal career, I was never like horrible. I didn't do horrible things to people. Um, so I don't, I don't have the capacity for it. I don't understand it and we can end it we can end it yeah well thanks for talking with us tonight we love you so much we're, we're glad that so many amazing things are happening in your life you're such an inspiration for anyone who's listening or that knows you and your journey i didn't know uh, a lot of your journey so it was really amazing to hear just your fascinating i mean what is, i what actually do, write am a book? writing a book i wrote an article for american theater magazine sort of tearing down the nonprofit board structure. And I got two people reach out to me and ask me if they could help me write a book. And so look for a book is coming out. I have no idea when it's going to come out. I haven't even started writing it. Um, but um, so I will write some sort of book about that. I don't know if there's going to be a book, a biography, but no one wants to read a biography about Michael Bobby. But I thank you so much, you two. I, it's just really a joy to think about my friends in DC and to talk with you both. And uh, you crack me up. So I appreciate it. Okay, no problem. We'll talk to you Bye soon, everyone. Michael. Bye-bye. Well, that was yet another, like, really cool, interesting, insightful conversation about, like, not only Michael's life, but perhaps, like, where the industry of theater goes um, after COVID and after, you know... The, the racial inequalities have been pointed out and yeah what'd you think he's just such a great person i mean just to listen to his journey that you know i think i knew five percent of that story of, of everything in his past and um how he just kind of innovated himself in every situation to become better and learn more and go forward forward into the next project um but yeah, it was it was great to hear Michael's voice and just remember uh, like all of the, the um, you know, when you're in theater, I'm sure if you're in theater and listening to this, you already know this, when you're in theater, even if you're not in the same show with other people, there still becomes this huge collective family. And, you know, we would see Michael all the time, everywhere, Helen Hayes, uh, you know, after shows, lobbies, parties. And, you know, I was lucky enough to do, be in a show with him. Um, apparently, uh, I mean, clearly playing the wrong um, character. But anyway, it was just great to hear his if, voice. If you knew 5%, I probably knew too. So <laughs> Great. Um, all right, so how did our art project turn out? Cute. Uh, it was easy to do. I think it's something fun for people to do in their Easter time. I'm, I made this one ear a little bit longer because I'm going to fold it over. Oh, that's cute. Um... I, I don't know what my face is doing. I'm not very, I've never been good with faces really, but um, yeah, it's cute. And now I remember like from the first time we talked earlier, I, I think we did this with Lynn Felouche a while back. <laughs> yeah, because you made a song up. That went like this, Steve just made up a bunny. Ba, 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 ba. Which is to the tune of, I am old Chris Kringle, I'm the king of jingling. Step touch. 
Can't turn. You can hear those slang thumbs ring. You're off. Steve just made up money. money. That's, that's, the, that's, that's the way that's we the, end this thing. That's the end of this great thing. So tomorrow's a mini sewed. Um, yes, so it's a surprise mini sewed. You're, you're going to go with us on a trip in the car. Yay. Yay. Uh, I guess see you, see you later. Have a wonderful, wonderful day, night, uh, week. As we always say, turn, turn your, your heart, heart into, into art. art. Bye. Bye.